If you want to have authentic conversations with other people, you have to be brave enough to go first. Like, you can't, you can't expect authenticity. And you can't be complaining about not having any authentic relationships if you're not willing to go first and say, hey, you know what? I'm struggling with this. I have this huge question. You know, I, I, don't, I, I feel like I say I believe this one thing, but in actuality, I'm doing this and I feel this huge disconnect and I feel miserable. You know what? And, and you know, that's, that's going to create a connection. Millennial, a person reaching young adulthood in the early 21st century. This week, Elaine and I have a conversation with Paul Angoni, the author of 101 Secrets for Your 20s and 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s. Let's get right to it. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert. A safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Elaine. And my name is Cody. And welcome to episode 56. This week we have Paul Angoni. He is an author that Elaine and I were gifted a book of his, and it just so happens that by coincidence we also followed each other on Twitter mutually. We were sitting in the gym parking lot whenever Elaine put two and two together here. He is the author of 101 Secrets for Your 20s and 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s. He's also the author of All Grown Up, uh, Searching for Self-Faith and a Freaking Job. So Paul is an amazing, amazing guy. He's full of so much insight. And if you are a millennial, if you are uh, maybe even um, coming into the whole 20-something era, maybe even you're a 30-something now. Hey, there's something for you here as well. Maybe you're a parent of a 20-something millennial child. This is all great information that Paul shared. There's so much here, and I can just tell you that I promise if you stick around, there is something here for you. It was an amazing, amazing conversation we had. And by far, going down in the history books is one of our favorites. So we're about to get to that in just a second. But before we do, we want to just ask you a favor. If you enjoy this show, we would love it if you would share this on with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to grow something, and we want to keep the conversation going with as many people as possible. You can find a link in the show notes below to our private community, which you are invited to, the Reckless Community. It is our safe place for all of us to come and ask those unsafe questions. Also, be sure to hang around to the end and listen to Paul's final question. It's a great thing just to ponder on, and we would love to hear your thoughts on it as well. So with all that, let's get right to this episode with Paul Angoni. Here it comes. I just want to welcome to The Reckless Pursuit, Paul Angoni. Thank you so much for joining us. Paul is the author of 101 Secrets for Your 20s and 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thank you guys for having me. So we were just talking a bit before, and I just want to dive right off into this. I would love just to hear a little about your backstory, just where you came from and how you got to where you're at right now. Yeah, you know, uh, 
gosh, it's a long story because I'm getting a, li- a little older now. But uh, I, you know, basically how I started becoming passionate about writing books for college students, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, basically anybody going through some sort of what now moment, that kind of transition period of life where everything you were so sure of starts to fall apart a little mm. bit is because that was my experience. You know, I graduated from college, thought I was going to be very successful, uh, and if not very successful financially, you know, change the world. And if I didn't change the world, I'll at least be doing a job that sounded cool that I could brag about on social media. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, just something to that effect. And then I quickly realized, you know, one, it's kind of hard to change the world. Uh, two, it's kind of hard to make a lot of money. And uh, and three, I didn't really know how to do any of it. So, so that's when I started writing about this topic because I felt like there was a lot of friends that were going through a hard time of their life where they weren't quite stepping into, you know, the rest of their life. Like I think we thought it, thought it was going to happen. So that's when I started just writing about it. And I just, I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I I never thought I could be an author, but there's something here that I just can't let go of. And mainly I just, it's almost like a journaling experience for me to try to figure out, okay, what, what do I believe here? What do I do? How, How do I figure out how to be all grown up? Yeah, I feel like that was my story because last May I actually graduated from college and I was in that same boat of like, what do I do now? What job do I go get? Like, how do I change the world? Like, I completely understand that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, and it's weird because I actually kind of have a weird kind of an alternate route. You know, I was super (sighs) nervous coming out of high school because I knew I like quote unquote needed to go to college and then like I ended up going a different route and going and, you know, getting ordained and everything. And there was like a lot of stress that way. And like all the regret, not necessarily regrets, but the fear of like, did I make the right choice, the wrong choice? And there's so much of that that's involved. You know, I'm 25, Elaine's 23. So like, we're right in the middle of that right now. Yeah. It's just, there's so much that, uh, happens in your twenties that I feel like a lot of times people just expect you to have the answers to. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are trying to pretend like we do have the answers, Mm -hmm. you know, and especially with social media and what we've grown up in now, I think that is a big game changer as far as having that authentic conversation about, you know what, I'm not doing as good as I'm making it look on social media. I'm actually kind of struggling, but I just, I feel like I'm the only one struggling. And, uh, you know, it's what I call obsessive comparison disorder. That's good. That's, Mm -hmm. that's taking place. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a big, that's a big issue. And then also, you know, I think I think our lives now in this generation, it's a little less next step kind of mentality as far as you just step right into your career. You do that for 40 years, maybe at the same company. You know, it's a lot more linear. I feel like our career path especially is more is less climbing a staircase and it's more kind of island hopping mm-hmm. yeah. where you're going from one island to another and you're picking up different supplies and experiences. You're meeting different people. And then all of a sudden you're back on that journey again. So it's it's much more ambiguous. There's a lot more kind of wandering in that and a lot more feeling lost because it's not so direct next step, buy a house, have a kid, here's your career, you're set for the next 40 years, don't ask yeah. any questions. Yeah, it's super interesting you bring that up. I was actually sitting at lunch with my with my dad like, I don't know, two weeks ago and we were having this exact conversation. He was just talking about how hard it was to find people who just wanted to you know, he's worked at the same place and like poured his life into that place. And like, you know, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty much at the, you know, climbed the ranks there now, I guess you could say, but he's poured 46 years of his life into one job and he's only 
55, I want to say. He's worked there since he was 11. It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, in some form or fashion, and he's just super dedicated to his career. And I was talking to him like, I just, it's so hard nowadays uh, for people our age to grasp that. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong to do that. It's just, we have a different outlook on life than just busting your butt at one specific job. And I like what up you're the corporate saying. ladder, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I liked what you're saying about island hopping there. That really relates. Yeah, you know, I think I think there's a lot that goes into that, obviously, you know, just with the amount of change and technology and right. shifting, you know, I think there's just so much, but also just the loyalty and trust factor between companies, employees, you know, that's that's another part of my world as I'm talking to leaders and CEOs mm-hmm. about how to retain and engage and motivate kind of the next generation. So I, I'm thinking and studying and writing a lot about that as well. Uh, but yeah, it's just a different ball game. There's a lot of different nuances involved with the whole employer employee relationship. And then also, you know, yeah, what does our generation find significant? Yeah. You know, what do we deem as success? And I think that's different. I think that shifts between generations. And so I think our generation's trying to ask a lot of those questions on the forefront instead of just sticking out a career that maybe you, you slightly hate, but you're just going to stick it out. I think this generation is trying to ask, okay, what do I really want with my life and how do I make some strategic choices at the beginning? But it might take a little longer to get on that path where I feel like, okay, now I'm starting to make progress towards where I want to go. And so it's a little scarier in some ways to ask those questions at the beginning instead of when you're 55 and then you're asking, hey, (laughs) uh, did my life actually mean anything? I don't know. How do I make my life mean something now? And I talk to a lot of boomers about that, and we have some good conversations because we're asking similar questions, but at different ends of the spectrum. Mm, Yeah, that's that's awesome, and that that plays a lot into the whole perception of I guess I guess you could sum it up as millennials. Millennials are what is millennials now? It's like twenties to early thirties, I guess, mid thirties. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like mid thirties now. Um, You know, millennials are getting old. We still talk about millennials (laughs) like they're 18 and just fresh out of college, you know, these young whippersnappers or whatever. But uh, really that's more Gen Z now that's coming Mm -hmm. through college. Um, But yeah, that, that whole concept of, yeah, that next generation that, and, and millennials has become that, that kind of catch all phrase where, you know, obviously in a lot of millennials don't even want to be called that or don't identify with what that means. Uh, because there's so much negative baggage that typically right. goes with that too. And I can definitely see how some of that negative baggage would play into that whole thing about what you're starting is we take a little bit more time asking those questions on the forefront. So a lot of times we could probably come off as maybe a bit rebellious or maybe even lazy in some people's eyes because we're so particular uh, on the forefront. And I just, I really like that comparison. I kind of can correlate that a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of ties into a question I had anyway, so I'll go ahead and ask it. Um, it seems like a lot of millennials uh, are kind of dogged on for not showing respect as much or just in the way they question things. And kind of the way I try to sum it up to people, you know, to baby boomers is, you know, millennials come from a time where we show each other mutual respect and it's it, respect is something earned, not given. And that's almost like a foreign concept a lot because, uh, you know, the whole submission to authority and things like that. And I'm not dogging on authority by any means, of course. But so can you tell me a little bit about, just in your opinion, what has led our culture to to a time of just wanting to to know someone before they give that respect instead yeah, of just basing yeah, it on a, merit? Yeah, that's a good question. 
Yeah, and I talk to leaders about this a lot because they're struggling with that, mm-hmm. uh, how to connect with this next generation. And, you know, obviously those dynamics are changing a lot as far as leader and staff or leader and employee or whatever it might be. And I, and I think if I'm going to sum up the answer to your question as succinctly as I can, I think it's the, it, it's the, the, the large trust gap that exists in our world, especially mm-hmm. now. I feel like trust is at an, it's an epidemic in, in, in the amount of low amounts of trust that we have uh, for each other. And especially the younger generation trusts leaders at an all-time low. And I feel like a lot of that has come about in, in the sense of social media and the age that we live in is that you get to see a lot of the dirt pretty quickly mm-hmm. now. And then also, you know, for me, I kind of grew up and I was coming into the working world in what I call the steroid era that we went through as we slipped into that great recession where it felt like kind of everything that felt too good to be true, politicians, church leaders, sports heroes, whatever it might be, uh, were pretty much too good to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they found out to be false. And so when I'm even talking to a leader, I say, Hey, you know what? Uh, if you want somebody to follow you, don't just talk about your strengths. You got, you got to talk about your weaknesses. Yeah. You got to be open and honest about what you're going through, uh, because the more honest you are about your weaknesses, the more this next generation will trust your strengths because they feel like you're being authentic and, and they feel like they really know who you are and you're getting to know who they are. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's much more relational now, uh, but sometimes there's a lot of barriers between that relationship uh, being formed. And a lot of it has to do with an all-time a low amount of trust between all kinds of generations, whether it's boomers to millennials, millennials to boomer, or Gen X doesn't trust anybody, you know, they're stuck <laughs> stuck in the middle of it all. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that's um, where the beauty of just asking questions in general comes from, is that you get to build those relationships and trust simply by asking questions and just being in the moment of just trying to understand where you're going in your 20s. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's why I wrote my newest book, The 101 Questions You Need to Ask in Your 20s, because I feel like the whole decade is ripe with so many questions and it's mm-hmm. overwhelming. But so I wanted to kind of create this guide, this framework for here's here's some questions that after all my research and writing and talking to thousands of pe- you know millennials across the U.S., here's some of the questions that I think are, are important or hopefully start uh, a dialogue or start a, th- a thought process around your career or around your relationships or your faith or whatever, you know, these key categories that we're trying to find answers to. Because I think it is really important, not just just to feel overwhelmed with questions, but to start asking some strategic questions Mm -hmm. um, that will give you more clarity and more insight and will direct your path in a more productive way. Mm, Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, could you just like sum up just a few of those questions as a teaser for everyone listening? Some of those big ones you hear. Yeah, man. You know, some of them are big, kind of almost phil- philosophical, you right. know, in a sense, um, where they're not necessarily something to be answered, uh, but something to be thought about. Uh, so, you know, a question, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I ask a question early on in the book of, um, am I struggling to make it appear like I'm not struggling? And then I kind of break that down and talk through some of this, this isolation and the fear of being found out and, and how we have to talk to people and, and you have to tell people where you're going. And so I talk about that a lot because the, the, the most common email I get from, from 20 somethings is I feel so alone. 
Mm. I feel like I'm the only one going through this, you know, so that's, that's one of those. And then I asked some more, you know, practical questions of just, Hey, what are your top five soul values? So if you had to rank your top values in your life, uh, and that you make your, your biggest decisions based on these values, what are those values? And most people think they know, Oh, well, I know what I think is important. I know what my values are. I had a mentor ask me this question and then I started realizing how hard it was to put it in, in a word of, okay, this is my most important value. And this is my second most important value and, and literally ranking those. Mm-hmm. And it's a really great exercise to just get more clarity. Cause as you do that, you might start figuring out, oh, this is why I'm anxious at work. Or this is why I'm anxious in my relationship because there's this big value of mine that's at, at conflict here, you know, and, and I just hadn't put it into words. So it's putting words down and, and figuring out, okay, this is why I'm feeling, thinking uh, this way. That's awesome. And I feel like that kind of leads to not necessarily, not only uh, just the mistrust within the different um, generation gaps, but also a lot of like why young people in their 20s and 30s struggle is because they don't even know the right questions to ask. They've been, you know, spoon fed the answers to everything, whether it be textbook answers or from their parents or whatever. And now they're out on their own automatically having to think for themselves and they don't even know what to think. Yeah. And, and it is terrifying. And, and it's, it's scary, you know, and, uh, Dr. Meg Jay, who she wrote the defining decade, which was a popular book about your twenties. And she had a popular Ted talk and it was almost, I almost felt more pressure when I, and I, and I've gotten the chance to speak at conferences with Dr. Jay. She's great, but I felt that pressure of her. Basically her whole thesis was your twenties are your defining, they're the the defining decade of your life, Mm. that this is when you're making the biggest life decisions uh, that you can make. And so that's why, again, that's why I've, I have these, you know, 101 secrets to your 20s, 101 questions you need to ask in your 20s, because yeah, there is no syllabus anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no guidelines. And so I wanted to kind of be that source of, hey, I, obviously I don't know it all. And I don't, I'm not going to give all the answers because that's not what this is about. But here's some things to think about. And to maybe just make you feel better that, wow, I'm not alone. Well, this is part of the process. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, that would be the biggest problem of it all. And so just being that guide, that older brother that says, hey, let me just walk with you through this so that we can, uh, you know, figure out where we're going and, and do it together. Yeah, that's good. We kind of touched on just a couple of things with social media, something that kind of comes up a lot just regarding 20-somethings, uh, you know, millennials in general is their lack of social skills. And I know we don't see it that way. We see ourselves as extremely social, probably the most social generation to ever live. Uh, could you just touch on a little bit of that and just kind of that that misunderstanding there, the gap there? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely one of those, uh, you know, stereotypes that mm-hmm. the younger generation is going to get, uh, especially from the older generation. Uh, I will say, though, I, I you know, I've done a lot of speaking engagements and I've spoken to younger crowds. I've spoken to some older crowds. And without fail, I've had this happen three times. One of the times I was speaking and, you know, I'm doing my shtick on stage. You know, there's hundreds of people in the audience. And all of a sudden this video is blaring on somebody's phone. And this video had quite a few expletives Mm -hmm. uh, being yelled out on this person's phone. And they're frantically trying to turn it off. And they're embarrassed. Everybody had to stop. Uh, I try to make a joke about it, you know, whatever. But every time that's happened, it hasn't been a, you know, a, a millennial. It's been a boomer who's, <laughs> who's watching a video oh, on their phone <laughs> oh, and man. who interrupts the whole crowd, you know, and that's <laughs> happened three different times. 
So, so one, it tells me that uh, I'm quasi boring and I'm definitely not holding the interest of everybody in the crowd. But also it just shows, you know, hey, you know, this is not just a millennial thing. You know, we're, we're all kind of addicted to our phones mm. in a lot of ways. You know, we're all on, you know, there's more boomers now on Facebook than anything. You know, millennials are leaving Facebook. Saying, they're because, flocking away from it. Yeah, because now it's the, the social network for quote unquote old people is what they would say. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a misnomer to say that only millennials are struggling with this. But but I do think, you know, millennials, they haven't. um they haven't had as much practice of speaking to somebody face to face, you know, something like an interview or whatever. It might right. feel more overwhelming because they have become used to just texting their friends or, you know, they don't need a call in. You know, I even think about, you know, I, I feel old because I remember when I was trying to impress a girl, you know, in, in middle school or high school or whatever it might be, you know, and you had to call their house. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it was terrifying. You yeah. know, it was definitely that whole like I remember like there was a Wonder Years episode with that Fred Savage, you know, back in like the 60s, you know, and they have this episode where he's trying to call this girl and he's got to talk to the dad, you know, and you're just praying the mom picks up. Not yeah. The oh, yeah. And it's just terrifying, you know, and now, you know, you just text that girl, you know, obviously. And, you know, and there's the, the level of discomfort is so minimal. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in one of my uh, one of my questions in the book, actually, I say, um, are you being brave enough to be awkward? Mm, that's good. And I and I think in a lot of ways we're trying to remove those awkward situations from our day uh, of, you know, I'm sitting on a plane next to somebody for the next three hours. Mm-hmm. I don't want to have any awkward conversation with this person. Um, I'm getting on an elevator. I'm in a grocery store line or whatever it might be. I don't want to have any awkward space. I feel that awkward pull. So let me pull out my phone. Let me pull out something to distract myself so I don't feel like I have to talk to anybody. So I'm constantly trying to remind myself to not let that fear, that pull always take me over. Mm-hmm. And maybe I just need to say hi to the person next to me on the plane. Um, and maybe I need to even think about how wild it is that I'm even sitting next to this person. The odds at play here that I'm, it's one in a trillion odds that right. I'm sitting next to this person right now on this plane. That's good. You know, and what is what does God have in store for me? And uh, and I've had some huge breakthrough moments in my life because of the person I've sat next to on a plane, mm-hmm. and, and what I call a not so chance encounter mm-hmm. in good. our life. So I, you know, just constantly reminding ourselves of this stuff. You know, and and it is hard, especially when the phone is so accessible, uh, to just kind of have it be that digital pacifier that we're always putting it in uh, to make ourselves feel. Uh, at ease instead of feeling awkward. That's good. I love you were just talking about the fear of of social interaction. I know a lot of people have a, a terrible phobia. Uh, it's kind of like when you go out, you set out to do anything to change the world, you know, and the biggest thing that's like, or one of the first lessons, at least I know I had to learn that was super hard for me was the people that are closest to you are probably going to be some of your least um, supportive people in your life. And like maybe not, you know, a mom or dad, there's going to be people around you that support you, but there's so many people, you know, you think, Oh, I have this network of 500 people that I know personally that I'm friends with on Facebook. And those people, honestly, you can't demand them to, to support everything you do. They may not be your target audience. They may not be those people that are actually going to support everything you do. Some of those people are going to have a big problem with what you do. Yeah. You know? So yeah. For instance, like when you were writing these books, what are some of the fears, some of the struggles you had to get over, some of the, maybe the backlash or just the general anxiety of putting your thoughts and emotions and what you've learned into written form where anyone can have sure. access to that? 
Well, I mean, if any, if anybody knows my story, um, they know it took me from about, it took about eight years from, I want to write a book. I think this is really important to having a book published. So during that eight year span of time, man, I have one story after another of a failure, you know, of feeling like I am just completely blowing it. So that was really my fear. I mean, my fear was, am I wasting my time? Am I wasting my resources? Uh, you know, what is my wife going to think about me? I I'm getting married and I'm pretty much unemployed as a struggling author. Mm. You know, this is not what I envisioned, you know, kind of all these supposed tos. Right. Of this is how, this is not how it was supposed to be. So yeah, you have to be very brave and courageous, you know, to create something new, especially if you're going to go on the crazy, wild, insane path of creating something new of following that voice inside you and, and that even that pain inside you that you've had to go through that says, you know what? I have to do something about this. This is so important to me. It's going to be tough. Yeah. It's going to be challenging. Uh, you're going to lose, like you said, some friends, you're going to lose a lot of the comforts um, that you've been depending on. But, but there is this amazing, strange, wonderful thing that happens to each of us when we're stripped of everything we used to depend on, and especially if you're going to go and venture out on your own, if you're going to choose to go explore and get lost and try something new. And um, yeah, there's a lot of fear with that. And I was definitely afraid. And I definitely had a lot of doubts and insecurities. But that's why I'm constantly telling myself, and you know, I write it in my first book, 101 Secrets of Your 20s, that the possibility for greatness and embarrassment, they both exist in the same space. You can't do anything great if you're not willing to be completely embarrassed in the process. Elaine's over here giving me amen. Yeah, yeah. Right I actually shared that as my Facebook status the other day, and I oh, had wonderful. so much like engagement and feedback. Somebody had told me that they wanted that to be tattooed on their arm. I was <laughs> oh, like, this is great. <laughs> that's just you know, just as long as they don't get my face tattooed on their arm, you know, that would be scary. But uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, you know. And that's, that was, that was pretty much the summation of my twenties. I felt like, you know, I wanted to do something great, but I also kind of wanted to hold back and not look foolish. Mm -hmm. and, and I started realizing, you know, Paul, that that's, you're lying to yourself then, you know, you can't, you can't, you basically, you can't stay in the fourth row watching somebody up on stage and telling your friend next to you, you know what, this guy's a loser. I could have done this better. This guy's not funny. This guy's not engaging this, you know, whatever it might be. It's like, well, you can't really say that. You're you're in the fourth row. Like, mm. you, you got to be on stage, you know, and, and it's easy to say that you have all the answers when you're in the fourth row. You got to be willing to put yourself out there. Yeah. And there's, there's only one way to not have any kind of negative or embarrassing things happen to you is if you just don't try anything. And if you stay completely complacent and comfortable and miserable, uh, that's, the, and I, I don't think that's a life any of us want to live. And so just being honest with ourselves in that and, and getting over that kind of fear of, of failure because we have to fail to make it happen. And that's an important part of the process. And so I think this is a great place to kind of transition to some church talk because, you know, that's what we do here. And uh, I think there's a lot of people. And for one, I know we talked just a moment before and you shared you were you were a pastor's kid. And then you, you know, kind of like a lot of us had your, your time in your 20s where you had to kind of reestablish for yourself what you honestly you know, what you believed and why you believed it. And I think there's a lot of us who are in our our circles, our church circles, our spiritual, you know, circles of influence, and we have questions, we have things that we want to push the boundaries on, we want to understand, but 
we just don't feel like we have the the ability to do that. We don't have the platform to do that. What's some advice you have in in situations like that when it when it comes to something as you know as intimate as as faith and and your belief? Uh, how can you go about asking questions and and maybe not feeling like you're going to be attacked? Or how do you find those places where you can go and and just express freely and sure. be okay with asking? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. There's a lot of nuance to the, this answer, I feel like, and there's kind of two sides to it. You know, one, I do think you have to be a little strategic and smart in the, in the ways that you're, in who you're bringing this conversation to. Yeah. You know, I feel like if you're just jumping on Facebook all the time or Instagram, whatever, <laughs> and you're constantly just asking these questions, you're, you're basically just trying to drum up controversy. Mm-hmm. Well, then that's what you're going to get. You know, and if yeah. that's your gig, if that's what you want to do, if you want to debate, then okay, then do that. But if you want to have some real authentic conversations, um, you know, I'm always telling myself and I'm reminding others that if you want to have authentic conversations with other people, you have to be brave enough to go first. Like you can't, you can't expect authenticity and you can't be complaining about not having any authentic relationships. If you're not willing to go first and say, Hey, you know what? I'm struggling with this. I have this huge question. You know, I, I don't, I feel like I say, I believe this one thing, but in actuality I'm doing this and I feel this huge disconnect and I feel miserable. You know what? And, and you know, that's, that's going to create a connection. And so that's why I, I'm, I'm even, I wrote in my, my new book that, uh, we don't connect over our pretend perfection. We connect over our shared struggle. Mm, that's good. That's, that's where the connection happens. So you don't feel like you have to go out there and feel like you're going to get creamed you know, if you're there with some friends, if you're there with people that you've known and they know you, they're not going to, they're not going to cream you. Instead, they're going to, their eyes are going to open up and they're going to be like, man, me too. I'm going through something similar. Thank you for mentioning that. And then you get to have this real authentic bond. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. I don't think that's happening enough in faith circles and especially in church where I feel like the leader oftentimes feels like they have to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. That's and good. I feel like that's kind of that old model of you have to look like you know it all yeah. or why would people follow you where I feel like it's now switched where again you gotta you gotta ask those questions from the front too and create that atmosphere for other people to ask questions and for authenticity to happen and, and um, vulnerability because that's where transformation happens yeah I love that and actually one of the things that I had pulled from the 100 secrets for your 20s book was where it said, our imperfection, doubts, and questions about faith don't make us unfaithful freaks. They make us human. And I just really love just all of that, just embracing the questions and embracing the awkwardness of not knowing and how God isn't even afraid of your questions. Like, yeah. it is okay to do that. Yeah, so, and that's that's where the growth happens. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's where we actually grow. And instead of pretending like we have it all figured out. And, uh, you know, that's why for a couple of years, all I could really read was the Psalms of the Bible. When I was really going through that intense period of faith, I would just read the Psalms because I felt like it was, it was what I was feeling yeah. where, where one chapter was praise you, God, I love you. And then the other chapter was God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of back and forth nature of it and wrestling with that. And, and God really found me in that space. He entered that space with me and said, okay, let's wrestle with this together. Let's do this, you know, because I want you to have a strong faith. So let's go through these questions together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's real life. Like that's, you know, that's honestly, I feel like everyone goes through that 
whether it's them wrestling with God or themselves or whatever, you know, what advice would you have for those people, you know, maybe reading Psalms or, you know, just what would you tell somebody? Yeah, you know, the, the first and foremost, and we've, and we've touched on this a little bit, is don't, don't go on this journey alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I use the metaphor of, uh, you know, explorers, you know, and the first step to exploring mm-hmm. is getting lost. Yeah. Like that's what explorers did is they purposely got lost, but they didn't get lost alone. Right. You know, most of them had a, a party with them, a guide. They had people there with them because they knew that it was suicide if they went and explored by themselves. Good. And I feel like that's a good metaphor to take into even our faith journey. Don't go on this alone. You're not supposed to. Don't feel, you know, uh, bad. Like, you know, that quote that you mentioned, don't feel like you're this, this freak because you have doubts. Let people into this journey with you. Um, or else it could be very dangerous. You know, and I use the metaphor of uh, Into the Wild, the book and the movie. And I, and I talk about that in my 101 Secrets book. You know, this, this guy has a lot of questions and he does this great Alaskan venture by himself. And, uh, and, it, and, it, and it became dangerous, you know, and I won't tell you the whole end of the book, but it wasn't a good ending. Um, and I felt like that was me in, in many ways. And so I knew I needed to take people with me and we all need, we all need that mentors, friends, counselors, pastors, whatever it is, we need those people in our lives. Maybe someone's sitting on the other end right now and they, they're grabbing onto everything you're saying, but they're like, but Paul, I don't know where to find that person. Maybe they've reached out before and they've been, they've been hurt. They've been wounded. Maybe they, they've got that uh, cookie cutter answer, or maybe even worse, maybe they got a little chastisement out of, out of their questions. What would your advice be to those people? Yeah. You know, I definitely relate. I've been there too. Um, I, I think one of the hardest things for me was when I felt like I needed to see a counselor. Like I need to see a counselor. I, I just have these questions. I don't even, I need to see a psychiatrist, a therapist, a counselor. I don't even know what, I don't even know what to call it. I don't even know what they specialize. What, who are these people? But I need to see somebody because I got to talk to somebody because I feel like I'm losing my mind here. And I remember that kind of that fear and pain again, because it's like, well, do I jump on Facebook and ask for recommendations of a good counselor? You know, no, I don't want to do that. But, but I, you know, I think you just have to continually get over that fear. And again, I think it's a healthy space that you're coming from if you know you need help. Right. I, I think sometimes the, the, the most unhealthy mindset is I don't need any help. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a healthy mindset because we all need counseling in our life. We all need advice. We all need truth and wisdom. That's a healthy place to come from. So again, don't feel like you're being unhealthy if you're trying to seek help. That's the healthy way to go. But and then also, you know, if you've been hurt, especially by somebody in the church, it's it, it's just like you know, for me, I got dumped by some girls in college, high school, or whatever. I got dumped. I'm married now with four kids. So like any of us, you know, we have some bad relationships. We learn from them. But that didn't mean that I didn't want to get married at some point in my life. Right. It actually gave me some more clarity and wisdom as far as, okay, well, here's some mistakes about who I was uh, giving my trust to that maybe I shouldn't have. That's good. So I think that's the same kind of thing. Even, you know, in a faith concept, hey, maybe that was, maybe there were some red flags with that person that now you know better. But don't think to yourself, well, now I got to do this alone, or now I'm just going to be single the rest of my life. Cause maybe that's not going to be the case. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Isolation is a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous game we play. Uh, and I, I love that. The, the analogy you just gave about how we learn from those mistakes and that's just, 
I, I guess it gives beauty instead of kind of getting caught in that, you know, I hate to use the term, but almost that victim mentality of like, I've been hurt. It helps you to realize like, I may have been through something, but this gives me, this gives me insight into how to get out of it. Oh yeah. And that's just powerful. And and that honestly, what you just explained right there. And I, I talk about this a lot because I feel like this is so true and powerful that I think you're going to have the most impact in your life in many ways where you have also experienced the most pain in your mm-hmm. life. Man. Like that's where you're going to have the most impact. That's, that's redemption waiting to happen uh, because it means so much to you. It means so much because you know what it's like to go through that. You know the yeah. pain and the fear and the questions like nobody else because you've been there. And, and you'll push through the challenges and failures you know, for me, I felt like such a failure in my 20s that even when every publisher was rejecting me and saying, no way are we going to publish this book. This is not an important book. We can't publish this. That's what pushed me through. It was like, no, I know what it's like to go through this. This is real. This is important. There's yeah. people's lives that depend on this, you know, and, and who who will I not be able to help if I give up now? So I got to keep going. I got to keep going. And so I, I think sometimes we kind of push down our pain that we've gone through but I think God is waiting there saying, hey, you know, I want to redeem that. And I want, to, I want you to help a lot of other people who are going through something similar. And I want to redeem that part of your life. I love that. You know, I'm actually, for the first time in, in my life, uh, you know, my, my backstory, my mom was an alcoholic and she passed away this last year. And, you know, I walked out of that and I, I thought I walked out unscathed, you know, but I got on the mm. other side like, man, I have some baggage that I've got to deal with here. And so for the first time in my life, I actually mustered up the strength to go to a counselor myself. And yeah. and one of the things that he was telling me is, you know, that we're, we're probably the first generation that he has seen that are actually willing to take a stand for their own mental health, to take a stand in the mess and try to make sense of it to come out the other side. And I think yeah. that's just like a, such a powerful encouragement yeah. kind of going along with what you're saying that, exactly. hey, these these bad things happen, but but they can bring such beauty if you're willing to allow it. Yeah. And I really just love what you just said there. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. powerful. Thank you for sharing that too. So what are some common things you often hear younger people saying about their faith or uh, older people saying about younger people's faith that are just not true or that maybe they could use some encouragement on? Yeah, you know, I think, um, especially with the older generation, they're struggling a lot with this fear of, you know, the younger generation's not going to church as much. Mm, yeah. And so that's a big one, you know, and, and, and then it also then rolls into this idea that faith is then not important to the younger right. generation. That's good. Well, I, I don't think that's true. I think faith is important. I think it's a really a real um, reality and it's something they want to wrestle with and struggle with, but maybe they are struggling to do it within the confines of, of the four wall church. So I, I guess leaders just have to be continually open and honest and flexible and they have to be willing to listen Yeah. to say, Hey, you know, why, why are we not engaging this group? Uh, what, what is it about the way that we've set it up? That's worked in the past. You know, it was the bread and butter in the past, but that bread and butter has gotten moldy now. You know, mm. so what do we need to do? You know, and I think, again, like we were just talking about, some really good, healthy, open, honest conversations where there's people that are humble enough to say, you know what, I don't know it all. And uh, gosh, I want to learn and I want to figure this out and let's talk about this. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a powerful place to come from uh, in, in any any conversation, but especially in that faith conversation. Yeah. And I know you actually addressed this in the 101 Secrets book where you had talked about, you know, sometimes staggering away 
you like you know what you're coming back to like sometimes you have to walk away and then gain a new perspective and come back just so you understand what like the questions you're asking you know how you think and feel for yourself and I think that that's a big thing specifically with faith itself is you know what do I believe what do I believe about what God says do I even believe in God and then just kind of figuring all of that out for yourself like it's that personal journey yeah and it's it's scary, especially if you're walking with somebody going through that, you know, as a parent, especially, you know, I have a lot of parents that will reach out to me that are reading my stuff because they're trying to walk with their 20 something through a hard season. And, and it is tough, you know, and I'm a parent now, you don't want to see your kid go through any pain. You want right. to protect your children at all costs. But there is that season in all of our lives where we kind of have to just go through it ourselves. And uh, like you said, we got to figure that out. It's got to become real to us. And sometimes that means, you know, kind of getting off the path a little bit and, and, and hopefully having a support system there with you that's, that's going to walk alongside you, you know, and that's going to say, hey, here's a cliff coming up. You mean you can jump off this cliff, but I'd really recommend that you don't because mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, you know, that's, that's kind of dangerous, you know, and having those conversations and that's tough to do. Uh, because you want to protect people from going through pain. Uh, so I, there is a struggle. It's a paradox. That's a tough one to, to walk with someone through or to even just go through yourself. Well, I'd like to take a moment to just kind of like to give someone a resource here to kind of demystify that a little bit. So this is kind of a twofold question. What is a piece of advice you would give to a 20-something in regards to either a parent or a spiritual mentor of how how they can be open and honest like that. And then also, what is a piece of advice you would give to a parent or a spiritual mentor about that that person they're walking through this with? Yeah, you know, um, on the parent-mentor side, you know, and we've touched on this a few different times in, in a different way, but basically as the parent and mentor, you have to be willing to go first and, yep. and talk about what you're struggling with and what you're going through and questions you've had and questions you still have. And I think it's a very powerful way to, to gain trust again, gain connection if the, the mentor is willing to go there first. Yeah, that's Because then that allows a really safe space to be like, oh, okay, I'm not going to get uh, blasted if I start talking about my questions, fears, and doubts here as a 20-something. For the 20-something, yeah, it, it, you got to just you got to be willing to have that kind of courage and that mindset of, you know what, I'm going to try to learn as much as I can. Uh, so we, I mean, even a resource like my book, the 101 questions book, you know, that's kind of why I wrote it was to have some resource to say, can we just talk about some questions, you know? And so it even feels like, well, I've got this book or I've got, you know, and it doesn't have to be my book, but just some sort of resource to say, Hey, can we walk through this together? So you don't feel like you have to just find all these questions out of thin air. It's say, hey, can we talk through some of this stuff? I want to learn. And coming at it from that humble place of I'm ready to learn. I'm hungry to learn. And I don't think many people are going to turn you away if you're coming from this kind of humble, compassionate learner uh, stance. And uh, so I think that's a powerful place to start that connection. So I think we have one more thing here. And, and I know a lot of people like to end on a final statement. We like to do things a little different. If you could ask the millennial generation, one question to get them thinking, what question would you ask them? Oh, that's a good one. That's, <laughs> there's a, man, I have 101 questions. Yeah. So I know, like, right? <laughs> that's like picking my, between my 101 kids, you know, which one do I like the best? <laughs> to um, get them started, maybe, I guess. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go, uh, 
I guess I'll re-echo one that I just, I kind of asked to myself when I was explaining an answer, but I ask it in the book is, uh, who will you not be able to help if you give up now? And I think that's just a good constant reminder for all of us who are going through hard times, who are struggling, who feel like they're failing, that there's people out there that need you. Mm -hmm. They need your story. They need what you're working on. They need your business. They need your parenting. They need you. And that might be 10 years from now. That might be 15 years from now. There might be 20 years from now. There is somebody just dangling off the side of a cliff. And you're the exact person who's going to give them that hand up, maybe metaphorically or maybe literally, because they're going to need you there. Mm. And it's going to take maybe 20 years of you being faithful when maybe you don't even see it all. You don't even know who it is. You don't understand it all. But you're just being faithful with that next step. That's good. So don't give up. You know, and it's kind of cliche, but there's people out there that really do need you. Keep reminding yourself that because even for me, I have three books, you know, I'm a full-time author and writer, and I still don't feel like I have it all figured out. I don't see the path perfectly clear. I'm learning and I'm failing and I feel blind a lot of the time, but I'm just trying to take that next step for the next group of people that maybe I need to be there for. Man. That is good. And of course, for everyone listening, all of Paul's books, his resources and website will all be in the show notes below. We cannot encourage everyone enough to go and get this. Elaine and I are personal fans. It is such a great book. And if you like asking questions, he wrote the book on it. So (laughs) Paul, thank you so much for coming, for just sharing what you've learned. And I'm, I'm just excited for this journey. I'm excited to get into the rest of your work and uh, man, I'm happy the coincidence happened yes. and we we caught uh, caught wind of each other and yeah. you were, we were able to do this. So thank you so well, much. You know, it's the not so chance encounters of life, right? Yep. right. But, yep. uh, there's a lot behind it. So and thank you guys for creating this platform and this space for people to have uh, honest conversations. And I just pray that more and more people will be blessed by the conversations that they're hearing there and the, and the leaders that you guys are being uh, in this space. So thank you. Thank you so thank much, you. man. Once again, we want to thank Paul for coming on the show and just having a great conversation. We cannot express just how awesome the information that he shared was and how thankful we are that he took the time to share it. Guys, share this episode on with a friend. I know you can think of at least one or two people that need to hear what was talked about on this episode. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, all of Paul's details, links to his books, His website and his socials are all in the show notes below. If you'd please take a moment to go and rate and then give an honest review for the show, it would help us to know how to serve you better, what you like and what you wish we would do more of. And as always, you are welcome in the Reckless community. The links for that are in the show notes below. And as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll talk soon.